Well, good morning, Christ Chapel. See that everybody thawed out enough to be able to uh, make it here this morning. It was always great to, you know, have a, have a day inside, but then it's always good to be able to get out. Special welcome to those that are streaming online. Uh, good to have you join us this morning. You know, I grew up in a mainline denominational church. But uh, in those years, I was merely going through the, the motions, going through those things that were really expected of me at that time of my life. I did not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ at that time. It was all external works. I did not become a believer in Jesus Christ until I was in college in between my sophomore and junior year. I knew a lot about Jesus Christ, but I did not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. There's a difference between religion and a relationship. And I was just involved in the religion. I was not involved in a relationship. So in high school, I was an unbeliever. I was just going through the motions. But God was still at work in my life, drawing me to himself. And one of the things that impacted my thinking while I was in high school was a group of kids who had a different relationship with Jesus Christ than I did. There was a breakfast club in one of the nearby churches nearby where once a week, kids from a variety of different high schools in the area would all come together into the basement of this uh, church and they would serve us breakfast. And one of the cool things was is that if you attended this breakfast club for three weeks in a row, you would receive a little pin for your lapel. It was a little wheel. And that was the cool thing to do at that time was to attend for three weeks to be able to have a little wheel on your lapel. Well, I went for three weeks I received my little pin on my lapel. Now I'm sure looking back that not only did, did that church feed those high school or feed me breakfast for those three weeks, but I'm sure that they probably also shared a very clear presentation of the gospel that Jesus Christ died for my sins and arose from the dead and that I needed to personally place my faith and trust in him and him alone as the only way to be able to get, get right with God. But I heard none of it. I was just going through the motions. I was going to the breakfast. I was trying to get my little pin. But what did impact me were those students. You see, I can remember thinking there's something different about their religion than my religion. There's something different about their experience with Jesus Christ that's personal and it's alive and it's vibrant. Mine is cold and distant and not alive. Well, I received my little pin on my lapel. I became a member of the club, but there was still something missing internal that I knew nothing about. You see, there was no internal change in my life. 
But I can also remember saying to myself, you know, there's something different about those, those kids. There's something different about what's going on in their relationship with Jesus Christ than mine. I don't know what it is. But if God wants me to know, at some point, he'll, he'll reveal it to me. Well, God used those high school students to draw me to himself. They were salt and light in my world. They were used of God to make me curious. They were used of God to make me ask some questions of some people. They were used of God to eventually, for me to be able to hear the gospel. I did not come to know Jesus Christ through them, but God used those students in, my, in the process of drawing me to himself over a period of time. Looking back, I realized two things. One, Jesus doesn't just want you to become a part of a club. Jesus really wants you to become into a personal relationship with him. He wants you to live from the inside out. And secondly, God uses other people and other things in our life to draw people to himself like those high school students in my life. But how in the world does that work? How are we supposed to play into that, that process? Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter five. If you have your Bibles, you're gonna need your Bibles. Matthew chapter five, verses 13 through 16. We're only gonna be looking at those verses. Last week, Cody started in a section of Matthew referred to as a Sermon on the Mount, and this part of the series entitled Upside Down. The Sermon on the Mount is one of three major discourses by Jesus. You have the Sermon on the Mount, you have the Olivet Discourse, and then you have the Upper Room Discourse that are major discourses by Jesus. And the message of the Sermon on the Mount is that Jesus is bringing in a new order. He's exhorting his disciples towards righteous living in light of the coming kingdom. It's for kingdom people. It's for people of the kingdom. People of the kingdom are to live, live a distinctively different lifestyle. And through chapters five through verse 10 of the Beatitudes, what, the, what we referred to as the Beatitudes, all of, the, all of the words in there are they. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peace my coast, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But then between verses 10 and 11, it switches from they to you. And verse 10 says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's a general statement. But now he switches it over to his disciples. He says, blessed are you. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The general truth in verse 10, the last beatitude is now specifically applied to the disciples. And the Sermon on the Mount not only governs our relationship with God, but now also begins to govern our relationship with the world. And people are gonna persecute you. The world is gonna be tough. But as you look at the beatitudes, you say, 
What possible influence could the people living out in the Beatitudes exert in this dog-eat-dog world that we live in? I mean, come on. People who are meek and poor in spirit or who yearn not for power but want to show mercy are going to be overwhelmed. They're going to be ignored and exploited and basically run over by society of today if you live like that. Aren't those people too feeble to really be able to accomplish anything? This is totally different than the power and control that's normally exhibited by the leaders that we know of today. But the Christian and the world are distinct. You have the Christian on the one side, you have the world on the other. And the text that we're looking today is telling us that we're to live totally radically different than the world. Not odd or strange or weird or quirky, quirky, but morally and spiritually different. And God can use that in the world. God can use that to bring people to himself. People are watching. People are watching. But how are followers of Jesus to live when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you? We're to continue to be faithful to live a distinctively different lifestyle. We're to live above and beyond what's expected. Totally radical. And how we conduct ourselves in this world can have lasting ramifications in people around us. So now we come to verses 13 through 16, where Jesus has just said, blessed are you when others revile you. And now, how does that work out? Well, followers of Jesus are to live as salt and light. Salt and light in a corrupt and dark world. Look at what it says in verses 13 through 16. It says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall the saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people put light a lamp and put it under a basket, put on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Verse 13 says, followers of Jesus are to live as salt in a corrupt world, to live as salt in a corrupt world. In verses 13 through 16, Jesus compares his disciples to a salt and to lamp. Now this is, this is somewhat difficult for us because by nature, let's face it, we don't wanna be different. We wanna fit in. We don't wanna be salt, we wanna be the earth. We don't really want to be light of the world. It's much safer and easier to be the world. So to be different is really against anything else. But these metaphors also give us some insight into the world itself. I mean, the world is rotten to the core and it's in utter darkness. And notice that Jesus, when he says you are the salt, he doesn't say you are the sugar of the earth. He says you are the salt. 
And most, most readers assume that Jesus is referring to salt as a flavoring agent, which is the primary use of salt today. But if that's what he's meaning, he's saying that the Christians are to add some sort of flavor and taste to a bland and tasteless, tasteless world. Okay, that's a possibility. But in the first century, the primary use of salt was more as a preservative. One commentator wrote, he said, in the centuries, centuries before modern refrigeration, salt was the method of choice for preventing bacteria from poisoning food. Salt was so vital for this purpose that wars were fought over salt. Entire economies were based on it. Salt could literally make the difference between life and death in a time when fresh food was unavailable. Salt was essential to prevent meat from decaying. Well, if this is what Jesus meant, then the point would be is that the way that we live serves as an inhibitor, a retardant of the moral and spiritual deterioration and decay that the world is going through. God restrains sin and corruption in a variety of different ways through government, through our home, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, but also by the way that we live. If we are to be an inhibitor of sin, then we're to make the world a little bit less fertile for sin to really be, become rampant. But how do we do that? Well, by our presence, by involvement in the legislative process, but the most fundamental way that Jesus is teaching here is by living out the Beatitudes. Day by day, to begin to live an upside down lifestyle from the inside out through an internal change of our heart. Because naturally, it's not gonna happen just by the fleshly way that we want to do it, to be obedient, to live by faith and trust in him. But it's possible for us to lose our saltiness. How's it possible for that to happen? I understand that sodium chloride's a pretty stable element. Doesn't break down. How can it become tasteless? Well, perhaps the answer is found in the word that's used here that's translated tasteless or lost its taste in the ESV. It's the word moreno, which gives the idea of becoming foolish or to be, be made foolish, to play the fool, the, the nonsensical. And Jesus is really saying that salt has become foolish really means that some have translated as maybe tasteless to the world. But perhaps Jesus has the idea that salt has become so contaminated by other elements that it's caused it to become ineffective. In other words, becoming contaminated by power and pride and prestige and lust and everything that the world has to offer has now contaminated our ability to be salt into the world. The idea is, is salt that's become mixed with various impure substances that the world has to offer becomes worthless as a preservative. The salt has become contaminated. It should be thrown away. We're not to be contaminated by other elements, 
but exercising our influence as, as followers of Jesus Christ. And notice that once we become contaminated, we're, we're no longer good for anything. We're, we're to be thrown away. Well, what does that represent? We know what salt does, but what does it represent? It represents our ministry effectiveness. Our effectiveness in ministry has really been decimated as we become contaminated by the world. We're to live as salt in a corrupt world. But secondly, in verses 14 through 16, it says the followers of Jesus are to live as light in a dark world. Not only salt, but also light. We're to live as light because we are in him. It's not our light, it's his light. If you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, because of your relationship with Jesus Christ, at the deepest part of your being, being light is a part of your psyche. Unless you've been contaminated by the world. For people in the ancient world who know, knew nothing about electricity, this probably, this metaphor probably had a lot greater impact than it does upon us today. You know, I've got a couple of pictures of me holding a lamp from Jesus' time. That's a, that's a Herodian lamp, that's a 2,000 year old lamp. And notice that these lamps are relatively pretty small. I've got a replica right here of a Byzantine lamp. This isn't a torch, it's not a bonfire. It's really pretty small. But in those days, this lamp, to fulfill its function, was to be able to be put up on a, a stand or if you were living in a home of some sort, probably on a ledge of the, of, the, of the house or the cave, and it would provide light, provide light into that darkness. And people of the kingdom should be like a lamp or light, which is, if it's to be fulfill its function, should be on a lampstand, not hidden under some sort of bushel. No one lights a lamp and then puts a, basket over the top of it. We're to expose that darkness. We're to denounce it. The disciples were to be like a city set on a hill. A city on a hill can't be hidden. We're not to be tiny villages nestled away in some valley where nobody's going to be able to see us. We're set atop of a hill. We're to be known as followers of Jesus Christ. Not to attract others to ourselves, but to attract others to him. Salt operates internally. The light operates externally. Our works of compassion should shine a light for the life that's within us. Followers of Jesus Christ should live as salt and light in a corrupt and dark world. But what exactly does that mean? I want to give you one truth and then four observations about being salt and light. Here's the general timeless truth. Being salt and light is not passive. It's not passive. Because you are agents of change in this world. We are to passionately pursue 
the lost in love. It's not just passive sitting back. It's passionately pursuing the lost in love. Notice four observations from these verses. First, being salt and light flows out of who you are. Out of who you are. Notice that it says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Ministry flows out of your relationship and your walk with God. Because of your relationship with God, you are salt. You are light. You can be a pretty bad piece of salt and you can be a pretty bad piece of light. But you are salt. You are light. We are a witness. We're to do the work of evangelism. Being salt and light is just pre-evangelism, like those kids in high school that influenced me. It's living by grace and truth in a tasteless and dark world. It's not something that we try to put on. It's something that we live out. It's who we are. Living a distinctively different lifestyle in a corrupt and dark world. A leader in this area was a man by the name of Joe Aldridge. Maybe you've heard of him. Joe wrote the book Lifestyle Evangelism back in 1981. Now the problem was that a lot of people read the title of the book and they didn't read the book. They read the title of the book and they said, oh, Lifestyle Evangelism. Oh, I can just live my life, lifestyle. And people will come and ask me about the wonderful life that I'm living. Why is it that we think that we live such a wonderful life? But they read the title of the book and they said, Lifestyle Evangelism. Oh, I'm involved in Lifestyle Evangelism. And they didn't read the book. If you read the book, the book was actually different. Joe was not just sitting back living life. Joe was passionately pursuing the lost in love. There wasn't anything passive about Joe. He was aggressively going after people. But the way that he went about it was Joe is what I would call a master of the acts of mercy or acts of Christian mercy. He would see somebody moving in and he would go help him move. He would see somebody that was working on their car and he would go help them work on their car. He would see somebody that was mending their fence and he would help them mend their fence. He would see somebody that was painting their house, he would go paint their house. See, he was raising the flag of Christianity by serving you, I'm serving him. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And by those acts of mercy, acts of Christian mercy, he was building relationships with unbelievers that were now hopefully going to be able to take him into a place where he was going to be able to share the gospel. That flowed out of his love for people. He so had a love to be able to reach the lost and reach the people that he was actively involved in people's lives, not passively sitting back, aggressively looking for those opportunities. Being salt and light flows out of who you are. But secondly, being salt and light can lead to sharing the gospel with others. Being salt and light is not evangelism, it's being salt and light. I can live the most wonderful life but if I never get around to sharing the gospel, that person is still lost. Like those high school students in my life. I didn't come to know Jesus Christ through 
that breakfast club. But I was, God used him in a way to draw me to himself. Christianity is enshrined in the life. It's proclaimed with the lips. And there's a variety of different ways that we can be salt and light in the world. I've just named a couple there on your, on your notes. One, I can have a life testimony by the way that I live my life, my, my mere presence in the hospital or in the neighborhood. Cody's often said there's no better way to ruin a party than to invite the pastor. And just our mere presence within that environment There's a testimony there that God has now entered into the room, feeding the hungry. I can have a verbal testimony. I can give belief and value statements. I can give testimony to the goodness of God. That's not the gospel. What is that? That's a verbal testimony to the goodness of God. God is good. It says nothing about the gospel. It has everything to do with the goodness of God. It's a verbal testimony that I have given. Hopefully that statement will lead me to a place where I'm gonna be able to present the gospel. Evangelism is a communication of the good news about Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ died for our sins and arose from the dead with the intent of inviting that unbeliever to place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I can have a verbal testimony could be a good verbal testimony. It could be a bad verbal testimony. It is what it is. We also have a corporate testimony. As believers in Jesus Christ, our gathering here is a testimony to the world. The way that we relate to one another as we love one another is a testimony to the world. People are watching. Some people say, well, Why do I need to go to church? Because it's not about you. It's not about you. It's about God and the testimony that we can have corporately to a lost and dark world. Tertullian wrote in 200 AD, said, it's mainly the deeds of a love so noble that lead many to put a brand on us. See, they say, how they love one another. We can have a corporate testimony. That corporate testimony can be a good corporate testimony and it can be a bad. I mean, how many churches that have split give a bad testimony to God in the world? You can have a life testimony, verbal testimony, corporate testimony. There was a man that, when Patty and I lived in California, We lived there for three years. There was a man that we knew that ran and owned a nectarine orchard. Phenomenal nectarines came out of his orchard. His name was Martin. Martin had the privilege of leading many people to Christ on a regular basis. So one time I asked Martin, I said, Martin, how does does that happen? How How do you end up doing this? Martin knew what it was to be salt and light. Martin said, he said, when workers came to apply for work in his nectarine orchard, at the very first meeting, he would 
announce that he was a believer. He would raise the flag of Christianity. He would say, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. He would tell them about his personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And he would actually invite them at that time if they would like to place their faith in Jesus Christ at that moment. This is the first time he's ever met them. And their employment had nothing to do with whether or not they trusted Christ. And in fact, he said, he said most of them didn't at that time. But I also knew that after I raised the flag of Christianity, they were watching me. They were watching me. They were watching how I was gonna live my life. They were watching how I was gonna respond. They were watching how I was gonna live. And he said, a lot of times when people would then get into trouble, just life problems, they would come back to him for advice. And he'd have another opportunity to be able to share the good news about Jesus Christ with that individual. See, Martin knew who he was. Martin knew how to be salt in life. He was passionately pursuing the lost in love. He was raising the flag of Christianity. And people were watching. People knew. Close out of who you are leads to sharing the gospel. But notice in verse 16, being salt and light assumes, assumes that good works are taking place. There's an assumption that good works are taking place. Let your light shine that they may see your good works. There's an assumption that good works are happening. It's not just passive. It's not just sitting back. But there's an assumption that there's a resultant action that came out of an inward change of heart as you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. For salt to be effective, it needs to get out of the container. We are not called to be salt of the church. We're called to be salt of the earth. How does that happen? Helping other people in need, strengthening the faint-hearted, supporting the weak, helping the suffering, visiting the sick, clothing the unclothed, feeding the hungry. You say, where are those people? They're all around. They're all around. The problem is, is we become very comfortable living our own lives. Jesus said, no. Live the Beatitudes. Be completely different. Live out what you know. Live out who you are. It doesn't need to be difficult. Joe Aldrich, he happened to be looking for people that were in his neighborhood. But that can be wherever you are, whether or not your workplace or, or maybe wherever you are with your hobby or your interest. Make something enjoyable as to what you're doing. I've been involved in a variety of different hobbies over the years, and each time I've had the opportunity to be able to talk to people about my relationship with Jesus Christ. Invariably, the conversation gets around and says, what do you do? So I'm a, I'm a pastor. But it's the last place I ever thought I'd be. It's the last place I ever thought I'd be. People go, huh? Let me tell you what happened in my life. 
They're able to talk to them about their relationship with Jesus Christ. Get out of the container. Step out in faith. Being salt in life brings glory to God, not, not self. It's living by grace and truth. Make, what makes your works distinctively different than the world? I mean, the world will feed the sick or visit the sick and feed the hungry. What makes us different? You have to say something. You have to raise the flag of Christianity. You have to say something to the effect of, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. By serving you, I'm serving him. Raising the flag. And maybe the next time you take a meal to somebody, maybe just put a verse on there. Raise the flag of Christianity. Be generous. Be gracious. So where do you begin? You know, if you want to go to someplace else, you have to know where you're starting. First, know who you are. Know who you are. You are salt. You are light. Because of your relationship with Jesus Christ, if you've placed your faith and trust in him and him alone, you are different. Be more concerned about what God thinks than what people thinks. And that's where you can become contaminated by the world. It's just not wearing a pin or becoming a member of the club. It's being secure in your relationship with a change from the inside out. Secondly, be aware of your current surroundings and opportunities. You have opportunities I will never have. People always think about going places they don't want to go. Make it fun. Just in the regular course of life, but raise the flag. Do things that you want to do naturally. Get involved in life. Take stock. Take an inventory of the things that are around you naturally to be able to be involved. And thirdly, practice hospitality. Practice hospitality. Acts of kindness. Acts of compassion. Take the initiative. Raise the flag of of Christianity. Invite somebody over to your house. It doesn't, doesn't, have, doesn't matter what you serve. You can serve pizza with dignity. It's how you serve it. Make it worthy of the king. You say, I can't do this. Yeah, you're right, you can't. You can't manufacture this in the flesh. It only comes through Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 3.8 says, be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil, insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you called for this very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. Being salt and light is not passive. We are agents of change. Go, live, distinctively different lifestyle. Father, you're calling us to be radically different and live a radically different lifestyle in a world. We are different. We realize, Father, that humanly speaking, living that life is, is impossible. But it's only through the enabling power of the Holy Spirit that we're going to be able to pull this off. Father, change us from the inside out.
Help us to be able to see people the way that you see people, to love people the way that you love people. To love people with an unconditional love, pure love, living out the Beatitudes, being distinctively different from the world. Father, may we continually be pointing people to who you are as we live as salt and as light. For we pray these things in Christ's name, amen.